Welcome to Devotions in the Deep End. I'm Cam Buchanan from Mount Gambier, Australia, and this is my quest to teach the whole New Testament as deeply and helpfully as I can. So grab your Bible and a beverage of choice, and let's take a few intentional minutes together in the deep end. Welcome back to Devotions in the Deep End. Our passage for this episode is found in Mark chapter 5. And to get us started, I'll read first from verses 21 to 24. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. Now Jesus has just returned from the Decapolis across the Sea of Galilee and is most likely returning to Capernaum at this point. As he returns, we find a large crowd already gathered to welcome him. But this time the person leading the crowd is a little bit surprising. We are introduced to a man named Jairus, a prominent Pharisee and local synagogue ruler. The head religious elder of the village might be another way to describe him. As you might imagine, he would wield considerable power, and he has quite a formidable job description to preserve the law of Moses and ensure the locals stay on the path of observing it fully. Also, Don't let the people be contaminated in any way by sin. Jairus would no doubt have been aware of the miracles and the teaching of Jesus, but he would have also been well-versed by the powers above him in how he should respond. There is a very good chance that these scribes who accused Jesus earlier of being demonic had made sure Jairus was informed of the deliberations of the Jerusalem hierarchy. It's a good chance that he would have been actively teaching people to follow the orders he had been given by his upline. Keep away from Jesus, have nothing to do with him. And that's all going relatively well until his daughter falls ill, his 12-year-old little girl. We read here that she is close to death. She is unwell to the point that it seems nothing more can be done and the family is gathering to say goodbye. Suddenly, this precious law that Jairus has defended so valiantly isn't worth a dime in its legalized and seemingly powerless state. He may even be asking himself something like, where is the power this law once had? But then, looking out to the Sea of Galilee, he can see where power does ever so clearly reside. He can see the crowds at the shore, and he can see the boat with Jesus in it returning to dock. We read here that Jairus presents front and center of that Capernaum welcoming committee, and we're told that he falls at the feet of Jesus, begging for him to come and heal his little girl. It's amazing how we see things differently when things get out of control, isn't it? Jairus would have thought he had everything in hand until this earth-shattering moment. I have no doubt he would have tried everything in his power, but when faced with something insurmountable, Jairus does the only thing he can do. He throws aside his status in the community, even his job description, and he seeks out the one thing that he knows can truly give life, the touch of Jesus. 
In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, we read this, God opposes the proud, but gives grace or favor to the humble. Put simply, pride is a barrier to God's favor. Jairus wanted Jesus to come and touch his daughter so that she could receive life. If he was going to experience the life-giving touch of Jesus, he was going to have to leave his pride right there at the lakeside. And we read that he does just that. All the ceremony was gone. All the fanfare was gone. He was no longer pulling rank in his struggle with this new rabbi. He was just coming as a broken, humble man on behalf of his sick little girl. Jesus will respond to a humble heart. And in this passage, that's exactly what he does. Take note that there is no hint of malice or rebuke from Jesus here. There is no sense of treating Jairus like a Pharisaic enemy who somehow needs this event to teach him a lesson. It's only mercy, compassion, and love from Jesus to a humble, fragile father. Let's read on a little further now. We'll skip a few verses and we'll come to those in the next episode. Let's pick the story up in verses 35 to 42. Some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He didn't let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in to where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, Little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. So Jairus gets the worst of messages. Don't bother the teacher anymore. You can imagine the face of this man, can't you? You can almost see in real life his demeanor shifting before your eyes, the tears welling up, the sorrow, the grief starting to roll in. But Jesus tells him, probably ever so quietly and reassuringly, not to fear, but believe. We have lots of fears, don't we? In many modern surveys, death sits at the top of the list of things we fear. So it's easy to understand how Jairus is feeling as he faces that reality right about now. But beyond that, we fear so much. Sickness, failure, rejection, future uncertainty. And what we see here, and what I've seen time and again, is that when fear is in our face and belief is being challenged, the crowd is rarely all that helpful. In this passage, the crowd is convinced that all is lost and Jairus is almost with them until Jesus steps in and says otherwise. Fear, as we saw in the last episode, is an enemy ploy to counter faith. And that same enemy will do all he can to get you listening to and agreeing with the crowd. It will be fickle, and it will be inconsistent, and ultimately, it will take your attention away from Jesus. The crowd will feed your fears, 
because the crowd cannot see what Jesus sees. But in a crisis like Jairus was, Jesus ever so gently calls us to look to him in complete trust and faith, and that faith will be rewarded. This passage comes to an end at Jairus' home. As you might imagine, the morning is in full swing, the family is in utter despair, and Jesus tells them something that coming from anyone else would have been completely heartless. He tells them the girl is not dead, but asleep. That's an interesting choice of words. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 14 says this, We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring us with Jesus, those who have fallen asleep in him. There is hope in all of us as believers that one day death will be defeated in entirety and we will live forever with Jesus. Because we have that hope, the scriptures sometimes describe the state we currently know as death as simply being asleep. So the word asleep even in this passage, is actually a word of hope. It was a word used when there was the promise or anticipation of resurrection, which of course was Jesus' plan with this little girl. It came across initially as a strange statement, to the point that those in the household even laughed him off. But it was a clear indication that no matter how far the situation at hand had gone, there was still hope. And that hope becomes reality as the passage draws to a conclusion. Jesus steps into a Pharisee's home, one of those working hard to bring about his demise, and he ministers to him in his darkest hour. And even though that same Pharisee would technically consider him unclean for doing so, Jesus makes good on his promise to put his hands on the girl in order for her to live once again. So let's reflect a little on that together. Some may be listening to this right now who might relate to the story of brokenness in this passage. There may be grief among some of you as somebody close may have recently passed or perhaps they're navigating their last days. I can assure you that Jesus can be present with you right now. You do not have to handle that alone. While I do believe Jesus continues to show himself in miraculous ways, I also know that no matter which way things go, that word asleep is a word of hope for us as well. We will all, at some point, succumb to death. Jairus' daughter was 12 when Jesus raised her, but she too did eventually die. But for believers, we see this as a mindset of simply sleeping and understanding that the Jesus who raised the dead as part of his ministry and conquered death himself will raise all those who sleep together in a time of his sovereign choosing. Put simply, the hope of Christianity is that death is not the end of our story. But there is hope to be found in other ways in this passage too. There is the hope that Jesus will respond to a humble seeker. If you drop all the pretense and all the sense of human power and simply reach out in acknowledgement of just how powerless you are, you can find out firsthand just how much Jesus can carry you through those hopeless times and meet you in your times of need. And finally, there is hope that no matter what the crowd says, Jesus says otherwise. The crowd may tell you that things are done, broken, or dead. The crowd will rise and fall on emotion, 
the crowd will tell you not to bother the teacher, that seeking Jesus is pointless. And they may even laugh off the hope you have. But Jesus is right there in the middle of the noise with you, and he wants you to lean into the way he sees things. He is whispering in the midst of it all, believe and do not fear. Thanks for tuning in. To learn more about this podcast and other ministries I'm involved in, go to my new website, www.ministryinthedeepend.com.au. You can also find me on Facebook, Instagram, and even YouTube. So please like, follow, subscribe, connect, and comment wherever you can. I'll look forward to catching up next time. See you then.